Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Today we celebrate joy. And I love the picture of this. Um, I think this is going to set some people free today as we dig into it together. Um, we need to access this kind of joy. We need to put a draw on it. We need to live out of it. And we need to understand what it really is so that we can apply it in our lives and we can live in that place. And so, Lord, today we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the history that we get to tap into. Lord, that tells us who you are, that tells us the, the nature of your heart, that tells us what we've experienced in you is real and what we have yet to come is so glorious. Lord, today I pray that any spirit of heaviness would be gone in Jesus' name. Lord, even as we've sang this morning, we've put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And Lord, today we dig deep into that well of joy. Lord, we dig deep. And I pray that there would even be for those that are, are struggling even in this season, I pray that there would be a shift today that this is a new day, that this day we lean into your goodness, your truth, God, and into your joy. And we choose to live out of it in fullness, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. This is uh, officially the start of the 12 days of Christmas. So for those who've been trying to avoid it, it's on. Now, there's no, I mean, I really know that we shouldn't necessarily start October 15th, but as of today, we're in. So just to help you out with that, just a tip, if you didn't know, tonight um, at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time is the Chosen Christmas Special. So you might want to look for that. It's going to be awesome. But it's, um, it's an interesting thing when we, when we get into the joy topic. And I love how the Advent words, these, these stones of our faith, all morph together. And so we've talked about hope. We've talked about peace. We've, we're talking about joy. Next week is love. And they all just kind of flow together. You really can't separate one out of the mix. You need them all. They're all pieces of the big picture. And so when we talk about joy, um, I think it's so interesting how, you know, most of the, the Christmas carols that get recirculated have to do with joy or some measure of it, right? And every grade two class ever has always sung, we wish you a Merry Christmas, which we always stick on the seven-year-olds because we know they're going to miss their front teeth and it'll be extra cute which is kind of cruel and sadistic, actually, but we do that. But why do we call it a Merry Christmas? Why is it a Merry Christmas, a Happy Christmas, if you're in the UK? They're different phrases. It's always got this happy thing. And I, I have known that there have been times in my life, you know, you're going through the Christmas season and somebody pulls out a fa-la-la-la-la, and you just want to like, nope, not feeling it today. And, uh, and it's an interesting thing that we've, we've had over the years. I, I believe that, um, you know, most of the Christmas stories, the Christmas anthems, the Christmas poems, the Christmas things that lead us towards a merry Christmas, a happy Christmas, a joyous Christmas, is because they are founded on the real Christmas, founded on who God is. It's because joy is a primary component of Christmas. When we take God out of it, though, we start to move into fa-la-la-la-la, and it just gets weird, and it's like, put on a happy face. It's the Christmas spirit, and you're like, what? And it's, it's not, it feels manufactured. It feels put on, but for those of us who know Christ, and we know what it's about, Joy is this authentic thing on the inside that we actually choose to put a draw on. 
And so we're going to get into the, to that today and separate it out a little bit. Um, again, in the Bible, the words happy and uh, joy and blessed are kind of all rolled together. So until you pick them apart, it's, it's hard to, you know, really dig into it. But the honest truth is that the joy portions always connect to some deep thing that's going on. So joy is never superficial. Joy is never circumstantial. Happiness can be, but joy is something that's deeper. And I love how even the song that we sang this morning, the joyful, joyful, the, the one word, joy, or the one uh, stanza, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before the opening to the sun above. And even that picture, that unfolding, that heart unfolding, if you picture that, that is the opposite of, I'm so tense and I'm getting through Christmas. It's, my heart is open in this moment to you. There's this place in me that's, that's opening. And then it goes on and it says, melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. And I think that phrase is super significant. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. That's the thing. It's the next level joy. And we are in this, um, you know, moment in time that's been a little bit difficult. And I know even this Christmas season, I'm so very aware of the depths of, of the, the trenches that people are walking through, the measures of grief, the measures of loss. There's been a lot. There's been a, a lot that, that we've all been through in this past year. And so uh, does that mean that we can't celebrate Christmas fully? No, it means we really should. It means that we really need to dig deep. We really need to allow the joy to bubble up. We really need to put a draw on what the word tells us this is about. So Luke 2, 8 to 11, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. <clears throat> it says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, but the angel assured them, saying, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So this is what the gospel is. If you hear the, the phrase, the gospel, have you heard the gospel? The gospel is the good news. This is the good news, that Jesus came, that he, is, he came in this form of a baby. He came to earth to bring this gift from God, to make a way for us to come towards him. But the interesting thing in that phrase is, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. And so we can adapt that, and we have adapted it as a society at times, that it's good news for everybody. And we should all just be happy. We should all just know that there's this great joy. What it means is good news to all people is that to Jews and Gentiles, this is now available. It does not mean that all people automatically pick it up. It doesn't mean that just because Jesus came to the earth, everybody's suddenly feeling joyful or experiencing joy. It's our choice to receive him or not. It's our choice to walk in this or not. It's our choice to believe it or not. I would say that there's a lot of people, you know, that even may attend church on a regular basis or definitely are the, you know, Easter Christmas um, church attenders or whatever, that maybe would stand here and sing, joyful, joyful, we are And there's no joy at all. You're like, are you aware of the words? Do you know? But just because you're religious, just because you attend church, just because even that you believe that Jesus was born, 
You might even believe that he died on the cross. You might believe that he rose again. But unless you receive the gift, the joy doesn't apply. The joy is applied when we receive this gift that was given. So the angels came and announced it, and we get to decide what to do with it. So here's this thing that comes out. There's this great joy that's available to all people. Joy is the expression of the peace that we have with God based on the hope that we found in him. So this is the journey that we're walking through. Joy is the expression of the peace that we have with God based on the hope that we find in him. And remember that hope is the earnest expectation of good. So when I find him and I have an earnest expectation that he is good, and suddenly because I come into relationship with him, I have peace on the inside. I am complete. There is nothing missing, nothing broken. I'm whole in him. Nothing moves me. Suddenly now I have this expression of joy that does tend to move on your face. It does have an outward expression, but it's the release of, oh my goodness, there's something that is bigger than what I'm dealing with right now that makes me smile on the inside. And we used to sing it all the time, you know, like kid stuff. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, joy, right? Yeah, I know. And this side, and this side. We will teach our kids this. The joy, 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 joy is where? Down in your heart. But then we'll, we'll, we'll pacify them with the external things and train them towards happiness instead of cultivating that joy. We've got to go back to that core thing and say, the joy is actually in here. It is down in your heart. And we're sure glad when great things happen around us. But the joy is something that God gives you that's connected to the peace that you have with him. And the hope in who he is. And so when we do that, we train our kids that it's not subject to change. It's a constant. And I think sometimes over the years, and especially over the season that we've had, you know, over the last decades as an affluent society, we have taught our kids to dislike discomfort, which really sucks in a season like we've been in recently because it's discomforting everywhere you go. Nobody's really enjoying the external stuff, but for the believers, we should be unmovable. This should be on the inside. It's like, man, I got joy anyway. I'm singing, I'm dancing on the inside. There's something that is, that is, is rejoicing in who God is no matter what. I'm not moved by this stuff. So we want to just pull this apart a little bit, and I think it's going to help you today. I believe that God's got some tools for us to actually live out of the joy, because if you know Jesus, it's totally available. If you don't yet, we'll introduce you today. But number one, obviously happiness and joy are not the same thing. So the rollover, the, the thing that uh, they mentioned in the video, so happiness is described as the, you know, as the smell of a good fragrance, that that kind of joy is actually happiness. The, the sound of a friend, the, the bottle of wine, the whatever was all in the Psalms that's listed out there, it's external things that come. It's not always superficial even, it's the uh, revelations that we can have, the understanding that we learn, um, the things that we, we experience of God, that can feel... Um, that can fuel the happiness, that kind of thing. But this joy, and the key word that we're talking about, particularly in the New Testament after Jesus comes, is the word shara or charis, um, depending on which uh, version you see, which basically means calm delight. 
calm delight and an adopted attitude of internal cheerfulness. An adopted attitude of internal cheerfulness. Means I can smile always. I can rejoice always. This kind of calm delight is not determined by our current struggles, but is determined by our future destiny. So because I know whose I am and I know where I'm going, I have joy no matter what. And some people, you know, we struggle with this. And honestly, just to be very, you know, transparent, I think we need to be, we need to be okay to say the truth. It's been a hard season, right? It's been a hard season. Some of us have not been feeling happy, but we can feel joyful. And the joyful actually opens the door for us to experience some of the happy things we want to experience. But we have to decide that joy is not optional. Joy is a necessary thing. And, and we can look at, well, you know, it's not like it was. I don't know what it's going to be. Right now, joy is dependent on who God is, what's going on on the inside, and the hope that I have. Looking at what the scripture tells us about this, Hebrews 12, 2 talks about Jesus, gives us an example of what this looks like. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking at Jesus as our model, we have this, this picture of what joy looks, looks like. It was the joy that was set before him. He chose it. He chose it. And because he chose it, we're going to get into the strength portion of it. He was able to endure the cross. There was something in what was yet ahead of him that supplied the joy necessary to get through the moment. Now, was Jesus on the cross going, this is so fun? No, there is nothing fun about it. But on the inside, there was a joy that was set before him that allowed him to endure the cross. There was a joy that was in, in position that's anchoring him to what's ahead. Psalm 126, 5 to 6 says, Those that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Well, that doesn't sound like dancing around light poles in the streets in the, you know, winter wonderland, whatever. Those that sow in tears reap in joy. Sometimes there's hard stuff. It's okay. It's okay that there's hard stuff, but the joy is there underneath it all. The joy is being cultivated in the hard moments. And goes on and it says, He who goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing or full of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Those that sow in tears and, and, and sow into what? It specifically says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. You don't sow corn and get beans, right? I mean, I'm not a successful gardener myself, but that's how I understand it works. You don't, you don't sow one thing and get a different harvest. What it means is these tears that are sown are sown into the things, the deep things of the heart. They're sown into that future hope. They're sown into that relationship with God. They're sown into that connection. And therefore, the reaping is the joy. It's the, it's, we sow and we reap out of the same type of thing. The joy comes from God. The tears go to God. 
That's what I'm saying. It's not sitting in a corner just in the fetal position, weeping through the, the night and hoping you'll survive. It's coming to God with those tears and you share that experience with him. You sow the tears, you reap the joy. Are you with me? I'm telling you just tears for the sake of tears, sadness for the sake of sadness doesn't bear fruit, but tears that are sown in the relationship with God bear a harvest. It, right? Are you with me? This is, this is one of the advantages of the moments that we are in right now, that it has been hard. Many of us have cried more in the last couple of years than we have in the decade prior. But in this moment, God is calling us closer and closer and closer to himself. And so would we really trade it? Honestly, I believe most of us, if we paused and go, where am I with God right now? You're in a healthier position than you were this time last year. Anybody? You are in a healthier position now than you were this time last year or two years ago. There is something about the sowing in tears and the reaping in joy that matters. And specifically going on forward, bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him, meaning it's great joy. The angel stood there and declared, I bring you good news of great joy. Not just I'm going to make it. But there is a confident satisfaction on the inside of me that I could just smile. You know, we, we used to sing a kid's song, when Jesus is in the boat, I can smile at the storm, smile at the storm, smile at the storm. Welcome to Sunday School Hour with Charlotte. <laughs> You're welcome. These are things that are in my roots, and it's things that we need to make sure are in our kids' roots as well. It's in the storm. It's not that the storm doesn't come, but I can smile at it. I have a joy on the inside because something has been sown into that relationship with God, and it's giving me something to jump off of. So we know that happiness and joy are not the same. We also really want the happiness. Happiness is a good thing. We wish each one happiness. We pray for each one happiness. But even when happiness is not possible, joy is always there. It's an anchor. So here's one of the key points, and I think this is going to help some of us to really get this today. Number two, joy and trust are inseparable. Joy and trust are inseparable. And most of us have never locked into this before. In fact, it's kind of cool that Pastor George mentioned God trusting us as well. But joy and trust are inseparable. And if you picture it, just in a, in a normal setting, um, when you're in a, like in a crowd or whatever, we've all had the experience, you're, you're in a crowd with your kids or, you know, whatever, and somebody, we would, you know, say sketchy looking, comes and sits there. You might carry on with whatever you're doing, but you keep an eye out over there. You're like watching. You're, you suddenly have a hard time just feeling that thing on the inside because you're kind of on guard all the time. You don't trust them. In, in a relationship, you sit down and you're having a meal with somebody and whatever, but something feels off about what they're saying or how they're presenting themselves. You don't just share the joy of the conversation, share the joy of the moment with them. You kind of, you throw some shields up on the inside. It's not quite the same. So this joy that God offers us is connected to this trust that he invites us to with him. It's us deciding that he's trustworthy and because he is, whether I'm going through hard times or good times, whether I have family around me or I don't, whether I'm in jail or I'm free, you know, the apostle Paul wrote it 
Peter wrote it. The disciples, the apostles went through it. They experienced it. We've got people all over the world right now suffering for their faith. I believe they have great access to great joy. What they are sowing in tears, they are reaping in joy. And that joy is providing for them what they need to endure the moment. And so they have to decide, we have to decide. You, you're without work right now. You're away from family right now. You're dealing with a health diagnosis right now. We decide to trust God and our joy is restored. We, put, we pump the, the, prime the pump on the inside and joy begins to bubble up. I have been blown away in these last six months, particularly where there's been a lot of suffering. This, you know, this church has gone through a lot, our friends and family online, a lot. People have walked through some deep stuff and I am like so encouraged. I'm so blessed by how you're doing it by the heart attitudes, by the people that I know that are struggling and yet volunteer week after week because they're serving with joy in the house of God. I am so blessed by the way people are doing funerals or by the way they're you know, dealing with the separation with family members, whatever it is, there is this place of joy. Not happy, happy, look, you know, fake it. It's joy, it's peace, it's hope, it's love, it's depth on the inside. That's what God's offering us. And so when we see how this fits together, that it all anchors back to trust, it gives us somewhere to dig if our joy is feeling like it's a little depleted. If trust is anchored to joy and joy is anchored to trust, if joy is flawed, trust is broken. So let's dig into this a bit. Psalm 33, 20 to 21 says, our soul waits upon the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. So it's literally saying that we, my heart can rejoice or be full of joy because I have trusted in him. It's built right in there. In fact, there are so many verses we could just read them and take the whole morning doing this. Psalm 5, 11 to 12 says, but, those, but let all those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor and you will surround him as a shield. So it is literally saying, I can have joy, I can access joy when I'm putting my trust in you. And I love that verse because it says, because you will defend them. It's meaning that I'm literally placing myself, trust is saying I'm putting myself in the Lord's care. Now, we have a hard time with trust. We have these, these phrases in our society, you know, trust is, trust is earned, or once trust is broken, you can't get it back again. And, and these things are, are somewhat true in human relationships. But trusting God is different because God never fails. So we can trust him completely. If something didn't go the way we thought it should, we can go back in prayer and ask God to reveal to us the why behind it. Or we can, we can decide to wait till we get to heaven and we'll, we'll ask him straight out. But we know he cannot fail. So that trust is well-founded. And the word in the Hebrew for trust literally means to be confident and sure. But this is key, to hide in for refuge to hide in for refuge and to be bold. 
So when I hide in you for refuge, when I'm hiding in God for refuge, I'm trusting you. I'm saying, like, what is the point of the armor of God if we don't trust that it's going to sustain us? Right? What, 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 are we, what are we hiding? What's the point of praying Psalm 91 if I'm not going to actually trust God? If I, if I pray, I'm going to hide myself under the shadow of his wings, and we, we, we start declaring that, you know, a thousand may fall on this side and ten thousand. What, what's the point if I don't trust him? So I have to decide to trust him, and therefore, joy will begin to bubble up. In the English, our basic uh, understanding of trust is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, and strength of someone. And so I remember this one, um, oh man, we had a, our house when we lived in Sexsmith was backing onto a field, which is really great for sunsets and the sound of frogs and stuff in the morning, really bad for mice. Um, so, <laughs> which is one of my kryptonites, like, man, those, those things need to not beyond the earth, in my opinion, but yeah, with mosquitoes. <laughs> so we're, Wayne and I are like laying in bed one night, like just reading, end of the night, and all of a sudden Wayne's like, honey, go to the bathroom. I don't have to go, no, go, go to the bathroom right now, shut the door. Why? Just trust me, go. Why? Trust me. Why? <laughs> He's like, do you trust me or not? Fine. So I'm in the bathroom, and then I, then I hear him, like, smacking things in the room. And finally, he's like, okay, you can come back now. And I'm like, what happened? He's like, well, there was a mouse climbing up the curtain. <laughs> and then he proceeds to go, I said, do you trust me? Now, do you trust me or not? The next time this happens, like, because it was way harder than it needed to be. By the time I actually left the room, we shut the door, whatever, he's chasing the mouse. It has gone up the curtains, down the wall, under the bed, became a thing, you know? He's like, next time I tell you to do something, trust me enough to move. You have to trust me and move. So this was kind of my lesson. I'm like, yeah, I trust you. What's going on? Do you trust me? Yes. What's going on? Seriously, once I knew, I'm like, I should have left immediately. That thing could have crawled on me. I might have died. Could have been terrible. So I have issues with trust sometimes, apparently, if I don't know what's going on. Anybody else, maybe even with the Lord, yes, I trust you, but what's going on? Tell me what's going on. God's like, get in the bathroom. <laughs> Trust me with this. So we need to understand that there is, a, there is a putting myself in his control. It's a putting myself in his hands, even when I don't understand, even when I don't have the full game book, even though I don't know the finish line, I don't know how long this is going to last, I don't know how difficult it's going to get. I trust him. This is a good thing. Psalm 27 and 8 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. That's old school for the tools of man, the, the abilities of man. Back in the day, horses and chariots, that was wealth, that was warfare, that was protection. So some trust in these natural things, but then it goes on and says, but we will remember or mark or be mindful of the name of the Lord our God. They, the ones who have trusted in the natural things, have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. 
It's telling us that I can choose to trust the earthly things. I can choose to trust the stuff that I can see and the systems that I can see and the stuff I can control. I can put my trust in that. I can hide myself in that. I can be tucked away in the things that I can see and touch and control and manage and manipulate. Or, I don't get both. Or... I trust in the one who doesn't always tell me everything, but I trust his character. I trust his nature and I hide myself in him. And the word tells us that if I trust in what I can manipulate, in what the systems of man are, in I, I expect this government to do this, and I expect these people to do that, and I expect this party to do this, and I expect this situation, I can do that. But it says that these people are bowed down and fallen. Or I can trust in the name of the Lord my God. I can trust in the one who I know has never failed anybody. Maybe circumstances didn't turn out what we, like we would like them to, but he cannot fail. He cannot lie. He cannot go against his word. He cannot go against his name. He, he is solid. Stable. I can hide myself in him and I will rise up. I will be risen and I will stand and I will move on to live another day. Essentially, joy is the product of an unwavering trust in a trustworthy God. This is, this is the thing, I don't, I don't feel any joy on the inside. Well, let me just be clear. I'm not talking about you should be just giggly weird all the time. I'm talking about the inside, I can still smile. I, can, I have this joy that sustains me, that this optimism, because I know that there is something that's ahead of me. God always moves us and he works things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I know that the end of a thing is greater than its beginning. I have something on the inside, that hope, and now I'm, I'm partnering with trust. So I decide to trust in him and now joy begins to bubble up. Here we go. Who or what we trust will determine our measure of experienced joy. I want you to catch this deep. I want to catch this deep. Who or what we trust will determine our measure of experienced joy. Joy is available to everybody. It's our measure of experienced joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is literally accessible to every believer. But I experience it, I experience the sensation of it, the stability of it, to the degree that I trust God. Yeah. It's, it's a conscious choice that I have to step into. So, to put it on the flip side, any area that we are leaning on our own strength... We're trusting in the help of man more than the help of God will deplete our joy. It's like a, a water bottle that just got holes in it. And it starts just leaking out. If, if you are feeling like you have been, the joy has been sucked out of your life, this is the moment to go back and ask God to help you search your heart. Where am I trusting in things that are not you? Where, is, where does my trust lie? Who do I trust to provide for me? Who do I trust to sustain me? 
Who do I trust to protect me? Who do I trust to lead me? Who do I trust for wisdom? Who do I trust for guidance? Who do I trust with my children? Who do I trust with my marriage? Who do I trust with my future? I'm telling you, we have, we have come to the place where we have been so internally focused and, and the word tells us that the help of man is useless. We have to come to the place where my trust, my confidence, my where I hide myself is in him. It's a really big deal. Let's see an example of it with the first generation of believers. This was written, First Peter was written to the persecuted church in Asia Minor, five different locations. So these are people who are like, on the run for their lives, dealing with stuff right up close and personal. But First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, and catch this, incorruptible and undefiled. The good stuff is still ahead of us. This is our inheritance that we have in God. And it does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed at the last time. Now verse six, oh, here we go. In this you greatly rejoice. In what? In the truth of what the inheritance is that they have in heaven in the truth of the salvation of Jesus Christ, in the truth of his gift of love and sacrifice for us so that we could be in relationship with him, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Bummer. I mean, wouldn't we love to just stop? Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us in this you greatly rejoice but there's trials though for now though now for a little while if need be you have been grieved by various trials that or so that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. He's saying literally, if, if, it, if it needs to happen, if this is the path that needs to happen, that these hard things come, the fire of the situation is going to purify your faith. And you're staying in this place of joy because you know what's yet ahead of you. But there's something being purified in you. There's something being worked out in you that when you see Jesus face to face, it is glorious. We, we read in, in Revelation that the bride has made herself ready. Not that Jesus makes the bride ready. The bride has made herself ready. What does that mean? It means that there are opportunities in trials for us to be made ready. For us to be purified, there's a cleaning out on the inside. There's some stuff that's being solidified. There's this purifying and strengthening and this preciousness in the hard stuff that is preparing us when we meet Jesus that there is this pure, beautiful offering. So again, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom ha having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The New Living Translation puts it this way in verse 8. 
You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. Verse 9 says, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. It is inexpressible joy. We used to sing these, this old song about joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory, full of glory. Any old Pentecostals in the crowd? I, I gotta stop, man. This verse is just full of songs. There's like a soundtrack that could go with this message today. But I never really paid, I loved the song because it was like fun. It was like a happy, fun song, you know? Like you could definitely Pentecostal polka to it for sure, which is weird. Anyway, that is the version of white people can't dance that, yeah. Anyway, not all, you know, I'm just saying there's been some stuff. Um, but when you realize that that joy unspeakable. It's, I don't even have words for how good it is. Inexpressible and full of glory, full of the presence of God, full of the weight of his presence in our lives, the depth of him. It's that thing that makes us shine with him on the inside that people around us go, literally, what is different about you? You should be a mess right now. Why aren't you? I got just joy on the inside. Uh, it's, I, I can't even express it. It's just full of him. It's full of his presence. It's the sweet stuff. We have to learn that that happens sometimes the best. It's sometimes refined the best in the hard times. It means that this, the, coming to the end of this year, we're not just like, oh, thank God it's over. I mean, we, we're also feeling that, but... Um, Lord, thank you for what you've done in us through this time. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, that you are true. When we've decided to depend on you, you have not let us down. We are still standing. We are still here. And we have this hope. We have this, this future ahead of us, God. And the relationship with you is worth losing everything. I would do anything to have more of you. Joy. Joy, joy. This is a big deal. Tony Reinke says, disillusionment and disappointment will always strike where genuine trust in God grows thin. And that's why when trust is missing, joy will also go missing. When trust is missing, joy will also go missing. So we want to make sure that we're looking at the trust factor. God, am I trusting you? Am I trusting you? Am I literally leaning into your protection? Am I leaning into your uh, presence in my life to sustain me? Which takes us to our final point. Joy is our strength. Now, most of us have, we either have or have seen or whatever, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a sign on your wall. There's bumper stickers on cars. There's bookmarks for your Bible. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Does anybody know where that verse comes from? Nehemiah, after a really crappy situation. Just so you know, we're gonna get into it. It's interesting because we love to just pull out these little verses without understanding. Joy of the Lord's your strength. And so we'll do that. We'll tell people like just, you know, somebody's like crying. Somebody's going through a hard time. We're just like, you know what? Joy. You just need to, you need to put on joy because the joy of the Lord's your strength. What does that even mean when you're distraught? 
it's not super helpful to just say stuff like that. Put it in context. It, that, that's the important thing about studying the word is what was the writer trying to say? What was God inspiring for us to know about the situation? So let's look this up. This, this crossover is very, very specific, and we're going to walk into it. So for starters, James 1, 2 to 4, everybody's favorite verse. I'm going to read it in the New Living. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. It's one of our family statements here. We look for opportunities. So, yep. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing. Count it all joy. Joy on the inside. I am going to decide that there is a joy bubble attached to this hard time that I get to lean into, that I get to live out of because I trust him. So let's look at this passage from Nehemiah. It's Nehemiah 8. And this, the book of Nehemiah is kind of this stretched out thing. It's, it's, it's about the captivity of Israel. It's about people who have been uh, taken away from their home. They've lost everything, kind of. There's other books that run parallel to it, Ezra. There's time frames. But essentially, um, the people of God were exiled for about 140-ish years. There's a period of time. Uh, the first um, move against them was 586 B.C. And then this is happening about 543 B.C. So... It's been a long period of time. We're talking generations of people that have been away from their home, that have been away from the things of God, that have been away from what, what God had done um, before in them, and they, they hadn't been able to experience, so they were separated. I really equate a lot of this to where the Canadian church is at right now. I think we didn't have to, you know, the, the people that have come here over the years, many of them have come for religious freedom. Many of them have come to be able to live their faith in boldness. The foundations of our nation are built on the scriptures. The, the, the core truths that we're, our society is built on is what the word of God says. And so there was a generation and, and the several sub, subsequent following generations that really knew what it was about. But we've come into this period of nothingness. And it's like we drifted into captivity and we drifted into that place where we lost sight of what we're doing here and what God has to do with anything. And and our laws are changing and our societal structure is changing. And I believe that God's beginning to call us back to himself in in a wave. Um, Churches are full right now. Those that can be open are full, which is an awesome thing. God's calling us back into that place. not about the building, but it's about those who have been drifting. God's calling us home and back into relationship. And so this is what's happening. They've come home to their city. There's a lot of powerful verses in Nehemiah, but they've begun to rebuild the wall. And so the walls in the old days in the, in the cities, that was your protection. That was your safe place. If you had a good, strong wall, your family was safe. If the wall was broken down, you were vulnerable. 
And so stuff would get stolen. There would be attacks. There would be things that would happen all the time. And so a good, strong wall was a big deal. And so these people have come back and they've begun building the wall and they put things back in place the best that they can understand. This generation hasn't experienced it before. So the, the best that they can, they're trying to safeguard their families and safeguard their children and rebuild their stuff. Sounds a little bit kind of like the natural lean on your own understanding thing. But then what happens is, is that the priests and Nehemiah himself realize that the people don't even know what God has said. They had no relationship with him. They don't know what the law said. They don't know the relationship that their, their nation had with God. They don't know what's possible. And, and they, they're like, how do we get it out there? So they gather everybody together and they begin to teach. They begin to put it in simple words and gather the people and say, okay, we need to get back to who God is for us. We need, we've been building the walls. We've been building homes. We're, we're trying to step into freedom. We're out of captivity. We're, we're trying to experience what it's like to be free, but we need to find out what God has to say about it or it's not lasting. It's not sustainable. And so let's just pick up Nehemiah 8. We're going to start um, at verse 8. And it says, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, this is a big deal. They started to go, um, oh my goodness, we don't, we don't know anything about God. We, we've walked away from him. We're broken. We're, we're damaged. We don't we don't know. We didn't know that this is what he's offered us. We didn't know what was possible. We didn't know what we should be doing. And there, there's this grieving on the inside about what has been and what the state that they're in and the situation that they're struggling with. And then it goes on and it says in verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the Lord, uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's such an interesting passage because it's telling us that they have, they come to this revelation of who God is, but on the inside, they're, they're, they're grieving and they're sad and they're weeping and they're repentant and, but there's, there's stuff, they're, they're still dealing with situations. Specifically, here's your little bonus verse, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the word that's used there for strength means a fortified place of defense or a fortress. So he says, he's, he's basically saying, even though you feel like grieved right now, even though your, your emotions are worked up, what you need to understand is, yeah, we've done our best to build a natural wall, but ultimately God's joy or your ability to trust in him and live from that place, that's your defense. And so I'm telling you, and he literally says to them, he says, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing has been prepared. It means celebrate. This sounds like Christmas. 
eat good food, you know, party, celebrate, rejoice, share with those that don't have any, make sure everybody is covered and we all get to celebrate. But this is a day that is set apart for God, by God. He's worthy of it. Live out of that joy. He's going to be your defense. No matter what you think you have or have not been able to produce, whether you are or are not satisfied with the, the way you've encountered him in the past, today we decide, we decide that the joy of the Lord is our strength. In order for us to access the joy, I am deciding to trust him. And in deciding to trust him, it's because I know that my hope is in him, that he is the only one who is the anchor for my soul, that I have peace with God when I come into that relationship with him. So yeah, put on the food. Let's gather together. Let's sing. Let's shout because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not superficial, not this add-on to life. It's not about the food or, or the celebration. It is about the joy that comes from trusting in the living God. This is what we get to do. So for those of us who've been struggling with it, man, I'm not feeling very Christmassy this year. I'm not saying put on a happy face. I am saying unstop the well of joy. There's a difference. It is deciding. It is deciding, God, I trust you. I don't know how. It's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know through whom it's going to happen. I don't know how long it's going to take for it to happen. I don't know any of the pieces. I've done my best to put things in place. I built the wall. But ultimately, I'm focusing on my relationship with you. And your joy is my protection. When Jesus hung on the cross for the joy that was set before him, he endured some of us are like, I don't think I can do another day. I don't know how much further I can go. Tap into joy. Yes. Ask the Lord if there's an area that you haven't been trusting him, repent of it, decide to trust him, yes. and then put on joy. Yes. Pull it out. When we started singing this morning, the word tells us, because we chose, right? Yes. The word tells us that we put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What does that mean? The garment of praise, praise specifically is not about my experience. It's declaring who God is. It's declaring his nature. It, essentially, it's sowing into trust. It's, it's saying who God is. And that spirit of heaviness, whatever it is that's pulling us down, Whatever it is that's holding us back, it has to submit to the praises of God. It has to submit to who he is. It has to bow to the nature of the king of glory. And the fact that ultimately I have a hope that nothing, nothing can separate me from. I have a love that nothing can separate me from. I have a joy that this earth should not be able to quench as long as I'm in relationship with him. It means that no matter what happens in these next weeks and months with, with announcements and declarations and laws and whatever, my joy is bubbling up. Yes. And that river of joy, I'm going to sow to it. I'm going to decide to, to get whatever emotional stuff I've got, I'm dealing with. I will sow those tears in his presence. I'll come before him. And I, if I need to weep before the Lord, I will weep before the Lord. He wants to walk me through this. But we pray and we praise and we worship and we engage. Sometimes we just sit in his presence and enjoy. But you stay there until you feel that little bubble. And that joy begins to come. Because that joy is your strength. 
So this morning, I'm going to have the worship team come, and we're going to sing Waymaker again. And I really believe we need to declare this over our lives today, because ultimately, that's what the trust is. He's the Waymaker. He's the miracle God. He's the one that can get through what needs to be gotten through. He's the one that when, when you do not know what to do about the situation, he's the one. So we hide ourselves in him. We on purpose, trust him. And I want to just encourage you this morning, as we sing it, use it as an opportunity. If there's something the Holy Spirit has flagged in you, even as we've been talking about this this morning, that's like, I don't, I don't think I actually trust God in this area. Trust is a choice. I can decide to take God at his word. And so in this area, God, I'm bringing it back to you. I'm deciding to trust you. I am not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm not going to lean on my own defenses, my own walls, my own ability to make this happen. I'm going to trust you. And Lord, I'm asking you for joy, unspeakable and full of glory today. That joy that comes up and it sustains and it builds and it encourages that joy that runs over and it flows. Joy is catchy. Let the river flow. Let's stand this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We're going to engage this. We're going to engage this. I believe that this needs to be a Christmas that is full of joy. Full of joy. Full of joy. That strength that you need is found in this place. Of connection with Him. Of trusting Him. Of leaning into Him. Of taking your hands off of stopping standing there going, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's Get in the bathroom. <laughs> let him handle it. Let him handle it. Don't let it steal your joy. God, this morning, we are so grateful for who you are, Lord. We're so grateful for the good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. God, we thank you for that great joy that has been offered to us. And even today, God, whatever it is we're walking through, I thank you for the most joyful Christmas we've ever experienced. Saturated in your glory. Saturated in your presence. Lord, whatever pain that we're walking through, whatever pressure, whatever unknowns we're, we're dealing with right now, we purpose to trust you. Lord, we don't want to be the ones that are bowed down and broken, but we want to be the ones who are risen and stand upright. Walking out in the goodness of our God. Non-circumstantial joy, but the joy that flows like a river. God, I thank you that you've made us not to be thermometers, but to be thermostats, God. We don't just read the temperature around us, but we change it. So God, as carriers of your joy, I thank you that we change the atmosphere, we change the, the, the spiritual temperature in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. God, I thank you the more that we operate in this joy that flows, the more we experience it everywhere we go the more we have the opportunity to share the good news. And Lord, I thank you that this isn't a band-aid. It's not just about covering up what is. It's not about denying the situation. But God, it's about sowing in tears so we can reap in joy. It's about the refining of our faith. 
Lord, that we would be perfect and lacking nothing. It's about the strength that comes from the inside that's not moved by everything that comes and goes. Life-giving joy. And I just pray a release of that over this house today, God, and for each one that's watching online. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.